breaking the wall of ecological risk. How a cultural shift in economics and politics can ensure the Earth's security. Alejandro Litovsky, Earth Security Initiative, UK, with musical accompaniment by Anders Scherp. The news of the fall of the Berlin Wall arrived in Buenos Aires, where I lived at that time. Thank you. Um, I would like to break the wall of national security. Um, my sense is that if we crack the national security agenda, we're probably going to make progress in many of the things that we've uh, been talking about today. Um, and up to now, we felt and we've, we think that the national security of a country depends on its military power, on its industrial power, on its political power. And we begin to see new ecological climate threats as non-traditional threats, non-traditional security threats emerging. And we believe that we can, we can manage those with these sorts of power we have. We can deploy the military in new ways. We can, uh, we can deploy economics and, and go towards a, a different investment strategy and that we can manage. But I want to challenge that and, and, and help us think in a, in a different way today. Um, last July, under the German presidency, which is quite interesting. In the UN Security Council, there was a big debate on climate change. Um, and the outcome was a presidential statement that said that climate change is, without a question, a threat to international security. Um, uh, but what does that mean? Well, it means things like this. This came out one month afterwards, in, in, in August. Um, and it's looking at uh, the conflicts uh, in the last, say, 50, 60 years, and since the 1950s, um, it proves a positive correlation between changes in global climate, i.e. the climate gets warmer, particularly in the equator, and the emergence of civil war and organized violence. Um, for me, this doesn't quite do it because it's a very linear way of thinking and it, it, it keeps within a very traditional mindset which says uh, we are organized in a certain way and there are new climate threats and the new hotspots where the US military talks about um, climate change as a threat amplifier. It's really going to amplify the threats and the, and the conflicts that already exist. There's warmer weather, the harvest defaults, uh, people uh, go hungrier, the price of uh, produce increases in the market, there's more instability and so on. And so one of the walls, perhaps the most important wall that I want to try to break today, um, has to do with understanding that the real security threat lies in the disruption of the Earth system. And that, in effect, many of the Earth systems are a security system. They're life support systems. And here we have something, uh, a scientific uh, breakthrough in many ways, developed by the National Center for Atmospheric Research in the US. And what we see here is, uh, in gray you see vapor, and in orange you see where that vapor is, is turning into rain. And the first thing that strikes you is that actually this is not a problem of the equator, right? The equatorial sort of region. Actually, where, where is this rain falling? Right? You see that the rain is falling in the US grain hub. The rain is actually falling in Brazil, in the south, southern American, Brazil and Argentina, the $1 trillion industry of agribusiness. Um, the rain is falling in China. We remember that last year, the, the, the default over the suffering of the wheat harvest became really a matter of national security for the Chinese government uh, that relies on one of, one, one of those commodities for growing it domestically. And so 
what, what else do we see? We see that much of the rain that is falling uh, in, in Brazil, for example, where 70% of Brazilian electricity is produced by hydropower plants, uh, creates a, a quite an interesting situation of energy security. Right? So it's not just an environmental, non-traditional threat. It, these, these things go to the core of economic power and national security understood in that way. Um, and we will be challenged. But we're also challenged because this is not a problem of atmospheric phys physics. Right? What we see here is an interacting system where atmospheric physics actually interacts with land-based ecosystems. Right? See, look at the Amazon there, look at the Congo Basin. Look at the Congo Basin, how it's pumping. Right? It's, it's beating almost like a heart. Uh, and what it's doing is recycling the rain and pumping it back into the atmosphere. And all the ra ra tropical rainforests together, they're acting as one system and keeping this conveyor belt going. It's, it's one complex machine that we really, really don't understand. So that we don't really understand what happens if we just take the Congo Basin. Well, what happens if we remove it, right? And we need to grapple with this, um, with this uncertainty in terms of action. And so why don't we zoom into one of the pieces of this machine and we look at the, um, at the Amazon rainforest. One of the first thing you see, the Amazon is not Brazil, it's nine countries. Right, nine countries that are having to coordinate the stewardship and actually are quite uncoordinated at the moment. Um, and so in green, you see where we are protecting the Amazon, you know, where there's, there's natural reserves, where there's indigenous uh, reserves and so on. And in red here, you see deforestation. That, that deforestation there is very much driven in the Brazilian part by cattle ranching. And that is driven very much by global supply uh, chains and global demand for meat. And so we know what's happening in the rest of the world with people eating more meat and so on. Then you see the fires. And the fires interact with climate in a really interesting way, potentially quite disastrous. Um, and we know that in 2005, there was a very big drought in the Amazon. And scientists said, this is one in 100-year event. Tremendous drought, the, the, the highest drought, uh, deepest drought ever recorded since, since records began in the, in the 1900s. Uh, five years later, 2010, an even greater drought that we couldn't predict. Right? And we tend to think of the Amazon as the lungs of the planet. It's sinking carbon dioxide. Yes, the typical year, it sinks 1.5 billion um, uh, tons of carbon dioxide. But actually, when the fires and the drought interact, like in 2010, the Amazon rainforest was a net emitter of carbon dioxide, of almost 8 billion tons, just as much as Russia's and China's emissions combined. Right? And so that's fires. Then we look uh, at roads. This is progress, right? This is being financed by development banks, by public pension funds. Uh, it's, this is making the GDP of many of these countries grow. Uh, Brazil and Peru just uh, celebrating bilateral deals to grow more roads, and they're building interoceanic roads to be able to export to China more easily through the Pacific, right? And this is, this is very welcome. But actually, we, we're, what roads do is they open new pathways into the forest and, 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 and incomes, all sorts of things. Then you see industrial mining. Look at what's happening with, with, with mining. Right? Uh, and, and, and we know that com global commodity prices are growing. We know that when Standard & Poor downgraded the US sovereign debt uh, a few months ago, what happened? Many of the investors flocked to gold. Uh, and the gold deposits in the Colombian Amazon are particularly uh, rich. And that has driven an enormous pressure into the, into the Amazon for exploiters, both legal and illegal. Right? And so you begin to see how all these things are interconnected. 
And then we know that there's oil and gas. There's a lot of oil and gas. And a lot of the oil and gas is actually underneath the Amazon. And so we know what happens when these economic pressures, uh, um, uh, they're basically driving the political incentives to have no choice but to uh, go and, and exploit. And in Ecuador, for example, where 60% of GDP comes from oil-related industries, it is very tough to imagine that we could shift to another, um, to another sort of economy. And so you begin to get the picture, right? And this is hydropower. As I said, 70% of Brazil's energy matrix is, is hydropower-based. Increasingly, Peru, Bolivia, and other countries are turning to hydropower. And um, what happens with hydropower is not only that there is this big impact, as you see with the yellow uh, section, uh, but also that we need to start asking the question, wait a minute, where is the water coming from, from as the key input to the hydropower plant? And do we understand that we're actually, by, by eroding the Amazon, we are eroding the base of input into that, that model? And this is something that traditional investment risk models are not terribly good at, because they look at individual firms. They're not understanding what are the systemic risks, uh, and, and in particular from uh, eroding this, this, uh, this system. And so here you have the combined effect. This is what we're doing. Well, what are we doing? right? when we understand that what is at stake is the big system. And so very quickly, the two things that I'm trying to do with this agenda is on the one hand, we need to make a radical shift in how we understand risk and how that translates into e economic policy, industrial policy, and the financial sector. For example, reinsurance industries ultimately will pay many of these bills. But the second thing I want to do is uh, to try to uh, explore ways of breaking walls in how we communicate this agenda uh, to make all of this complexity and all of these unknowns a bit more intuitive to understand. And so one of the things we'll experiment with, um, and I want to call on my friend uh, uh, Anders Scherb from, from Sweden. We've been working for a while on exploring, and he's a musician, very good one. Um, how can his work and how could we try to communicate this agenda in a, in a, in a different way? And so we'll do a little experiment and you see what you think. And so we're going to turn back uh, to this uh, system and we will try to understand how does it all fit together and what it means in terms of the Earth's security. Anders.
seconds. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Anders. Well, we began talking about security, national security, and the connections that exist with the Earth. Um, uh, just wrap up by saying that the, the breaking the walls between science, what we know in, in different silos in science, what we know in investment, uh, in infrastructures, and what we know in politics, uh, is, is really the only chance we have in working out the politics that will ensure our long-term security. Thank you very much.